Six years ago, I came on fat as a feral kid who didn't like God. And so this, this week is my sixth birthday as a Christian. How, don't, praise God for that, because I may still be a feral kid, I've heard, but, but it's been six years since on this camp this week, I realized why Jesus was worth giving my life up to know, and I'm hoping and I'm praying that you'll come to know that as well. So that's what I'm going to pray right now, and then we're going to get into it. Father God, thank you for gathering us here. God, I beg you, please, to come and work. There's 148 precious teenagers here who are going to live forever in one place or another. And God, I pray that you will save every person in this room. God, I pray that you'll show every person in this room why it is that you are so amazing. Why you are better than anything this world has to offer. Why it is so terrible to drift away. God, please protect us from ever drifting away from you. God, I ask that you come and do something now that I can't do and you would change our hearts. Please, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to tell you a story. It's set a few thousand years ago in ancient Rome. It's about a guy called Alexander who was 15 years old. Not much. Who's 15? Anyone here? Yeah, a couple of you guys. Zach's not 15. Alexander was sitting in his second-story um, run-down apartment that was located in a slum on the side of a hill in Rome. Okay, so set in Rome. And he sits there alone. He's eating a soup made of vegetables with stale bread. And there's a glass of sour off wine sitting on a box that he set up as a table. And rain's pelting the walls of his apartment on the outside, hopefully. And, and he's sitting there in the dark, so he decides to light a lamp because there's a storm coming. That day at work, um, Alexander's boss, who's called Brutus, uh, had given him a really hard time for being a Christian. And he'd had, he kind of cringed and, and stung with the hurt and the embarrassment of being ridiculed for his beliefs, but it was the only job he could really get because not many people would even hire a Christian. Alexander um, had been uh, suffering for several months now. In fact, the, the persecution against Christians had been going on for years. Um, they'd been thrown in prison. Some had, been, uh, had their stuff taken away from them. Some of them had been beaten physically. Uh, no one had yet been killed. And that had been going on for about 15 years. In fact, his grandfather was one of the, the people who were most opposed to Christians. And so when he came home one day a few months earlier and said, I've become a Christian, his old man almost died. Uh, there'd been a big fight, uh, lots, of, lots of tears, lots of angry words. And now Alexander feels pretty much alone. Uh, he'd been told that there would be a cost of following Jesus. But somehow this experience was a bit different to what he was expecting. Um, members of his church had become discouraged uh, and some uh, were, were doubting whether Christ really was in control. Some other people in his church had actually left Jesus altogether. 
Now, Alexander, he missed what he'd come from in Judaism. He missed the, the community of the Jewish synagogue. He missed the joy of the Jewish festival. And he missed his family, who now wouldn't even look at him as they passed him on the street on their way to the synagogue. He felt very alone. Now, there was supposed to be a church service that night, and uh, he was tempted not to go. He was pretty tempted, actually, to give up on this whole Christian thing. But he'd heard that their church had received some document from far away, from somewhere in the east. And so he was kind of curious to see what this would happen. So he went and he walked into this room, and this depressive tone hung in the air as people came in also run down finally the leader arrived and with shaking hands he unrolled this document with a big smile on his face and he said I think that you'll find this quite relevant then he took the parchment and he started to read in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, in many times and in many ways. But in his last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The document was the book of Hebrews. And that story is made up, but it captures what the situation actually was of the people that this book is written to. They were Jewish Christians who had come from Judaism, but were now suffering for following Jesus. And so they were tempted to just give up and go back to being Jewish. I'll show you how I know that. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, We must pay much more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. That's what this book is about. The whole book of Hebrews is written to say, Don't drift away. So here's the big question we're looking at this week. Why not? Just drift away from Jesus. If you're a Christian, life is going to be hard. Uh, Our whole world is traveling in one direction. I was expecting like screams of laughter. That's more like it. Our whole world is traveling in one direction. Anyway, um, glad people are finally getting over that. Our whole world's traveling in a single direction. uh, And we're trying to walk a different way. They're running away from God. We're trying to go towards God. It can feel like... We're just like a little fish swimming upstream in a big river flowing the other direction. And sometimes it feels like everything is going against you. And I promise you this, being a Christian will not make your life easier. The Bible says it's going to make it harder. Being a Christian will be hard because you will suffer. People will ridicule for being a Christian. It's hard work to keep saying no to sin. It's hard work to keep saying yes to what God wants you to do. It's hard when your friends bag you out. It's hard when maybe even your family gives you a hard time for following Jesus. You might have to say no to a guy or a girl that you like and that likes you because you know they're not a Christian and they'll lead you away from God. You'll suffer, you'll have doubts, and there will be a time when you'll be tempted just to throw it all away because it's just easier. So why not just drift away from Jesus? That's the question this book is written to answer. But for some of you, actually, the question for you is, why bother with Jesus in the first place? I know lots of you guys are here. Just have fun, and that's fine. We want to have you here. But you don't really care that much about Jesus. 
And all I want to say to you is I hope you enjoy your week. I really mean that. But please, consider what the book of Hebrews has to say. Listen to this, because I have found him to be the best thing in the entire world. And Hebrews is written to say that if you walk away from him, you're making the biggest mistake of your entire life. So why come to Jesus in the first place? And why not drift away? That's what we're looking at. But first I want to know, does anyone want a present? Does anyone want a present? First hand up was uh, Josh. Oh, Gramps. Come on up, Gramps. Can you know, stand up on stage here? I've seen, you on, I've seen you on caffeinated beverages, and it's not a pretty sight. So hopefully... Anyway, what do you, just, what do you reckon's in that? You think chocolate? That is a lot of chocolate. Or books? That'd be nice, yeah. Okay, now I'm going to give you a chance to use that to earn something from anyone here. Because I'm guessing there's people out here who want what's in that box. I don't know what it is, but you might want it. So does anyone want to offer something to trade? What do you give him? A hug for the box. No deal. Okay, anyone want to offer something else? Yeah, the pen. He's got a pen. Yeah. <laughs> You're actually going to give away your buddy rabbit. Yeah. You, oh, man. This, okay, okay. Yeah, good offer? That's a pretty good offer. Okay, he thinks that, there's a, you gotta, he thinks that that's full of chocolate, so he's not going to just give that away. He's loving up. A beanie. Yeah. Five bucks. That could be an empty box full of secondhand books. Would you give it for five bucks? A what? A thousand dollars. Wait, wait. Shh, shh. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you serious? A thousand dollars? That's too much. I wouldn't let that happen. Down the back. Would you, would you have her as your slave for your day for, for whatever's in that box? No deal. Okay, well, last one. A can of Coke. Yeah, too much. All right. Okay. So far, none of those. What if, what if you would give it away for? I was going to say twenty-four cans of Coke, but I drank one. Would you make the swap for twenty-three cans of Coke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give this to you for free, and you give me that. What do you reckon you should do? Who's saying deal? You can do it. All right, he's done it. Well done. Well done. Okay, okay, wait, wait. Don't go yet. Don't go yet. You've won them. They're yours. So you can just give them to a friend that you know will look after them. Nah, you don't trust any of your friends. Let's go. Just chuck them down there for a sec. Because I want you to open this up. We want to find out what was in it. If it's chocolate, you're going to be filthy. Okay, just, just stand out there and open that. Okay, I want to just, just hush as he opens this. Do you want to stand up? Yeah, I'll hold it. You open. Oh, no, he's got it. He's got it. Hold it up. What is it? (laughs) You could have won a Wii. That is, and I'm not joking. I bought that at Kmart on Tuesday. That is a Nintendo Wii with a remote and two games. 
Can I have my wee back? <laughs> Thanks, man. Enjoy your Coke. <laughs> Give him a clap. <laughs> me, and, me and Gramps are going to share those Cokes later and you're not getting any. Can you believe that? I was, like, if he didn't say that, I honestly would have given that to you. So, unlucky, but you've done pretty well. Huh? We can, we can probably get it out a bit later, maybe. We'll see. Anyway, can you guys believe that? And I'm not kidding. Gramps just missed out on the opportunity to take home a Wii. He gave away a Nintendo Wii. Now, why did he do that? Why? He didn't know what he had. He didn't know how amazing the thing that he had was. Now, listen. The chance of you guys drifting away from Jesus depends on whether or not you understand how amazing what you have is in Jesus. Okay? You'll make the spiritual equivalent of swapping a Nintendo Wii for some soft drink. Unless you understand... <laughs> He's filthy. Mate, you got, a, you got a pallet of Coke. That's not bad. Um, he got the spiritual equivalent. You'll, where am I up to? Yeah. Listen, the key, if you take your notes, this is point one. The key to not drifting away is you need to know how amazing Jesus is. You need to know what's in your spiritual box or you're going to make a bad trade. You're going to give away Jesus for something that is not worth it. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. We saw that at the, end of chap- at the start of chapter 2. He says we've got to pay more, more careful attention so that we don't drift away. But chapter 1 is all about Jesus. Chapter 2, once he says that, goes on about Jesus. And 3 and 4, all the way through the book of Hebrews, it's just Jesus, 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 Jesus. Because that's the key. It's knowing who Jesus is and why he is so amazing. Now, what do you think of when you think of Jesus? Do you think of best friend Jesus? Is this going to come up? Will you even be able to see it? No? Okay, whatever. There's going to be pictures, but do you think of best friend Jesus? He's kind of like there to give you a high five um, and to give you a pat on the back. Is that who you think about when you think of Jesus? Or do you think of more like, can we get those pictures up, Josh? Is that all right? Or Nathan? Yeah, there's best friend Jesus. Can you see that? Not really. Or do you have self-help Jesus? This is the next one. Self-help Jesus there just to kind of make your life a bit better. Next one. Maybe you have fish stick Jesus. That's like the Jesus that appears in your food. Maybe you have... What's the next one? Um, Oh, that's Jesus that cuddles little goats. Just a lot of pictures of Jesus holding goats. Uh, Or do you have fun Nazi Jesus who's just there with a big book of rules to stop you having fun? What's your view of Jesus? I'll tell you now, none of those is right. And if you have one, you will drift away. So the way to make sure is to know how amazing the real Jesus is. So we're going to look at that now. And so the first thing to see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, is that Jesus is how God speaks to us. In the past, it says, verse 1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, and many times, and in various ways. But in these last days now, He has spoken to us, By his son. That's Jesus. The only way we can know anything about God is if God tells us. How could you know what Zach's favorite ice cream flavor is? Is it? 
Is it chocolate? No, it's not. And you couldn't possibly know unless Zach chose to reveal it. He could tell you, or he could maybe just show you when he went to the ice cream shop. But Zach has to reveal what it is. Everyone in the... Oh, he just revealed. Okay. Keep it secret. Um, everyone in the world is guessing what God is like unless God reveals it to us. And some people I know think that God has it and we're just guessing, but that's not right. God didn't go to all the trouble of making us just to leave us in the dark about who he is. For thousands of years, God sent prophets, dudes who God spoke to and they told people what he's like. But then, better than, better than just a prophet, God sent his own son, came into the world to tell us about God. And then Jesus kind of gathered a group of people around him and taught them, and they wrote down what he taught. And that's what this is. This is God speaking to us. So as we open the Bible this week, we're reading God speaking to us through Jesus, through his disciples, to you. So if you want to know God, don't drift away from Jesus because he's how God speaks to us. Number two, Jesus is the owner of everything. Have a look at verse two. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed, that means chose, heir of all things. Now the word heir means the person is going to inherit something. My great auntie died once and I was like, sweet. She did die once, only once. No, I mean, at one point in time, my great auntie died and I was like, sweet, maybe she was rich, maybe I'll get heaps of inheritance from her. I thought I might have been an heir. Turned out she wasn't rich and I wasn't an heir, so it was just devo. Mainly because I didn't get anything. I didn't really know her. Anyway, my great aunt wasn't rich. But that's what an heir is. It's a future owner. Okay? God the Father made everything. The universe, every single one of us, everything. And he said to Jesus, I'm going to give this to you. You're going to own the universe. Which means that Jesus owns you. That's pretty cool. Jesus is the owner of everything. But there's another thing to see. Number three, Jesus is the maker of everything. Have a look at verse three again. Uh, the, the, the heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. God made the universe through Jesus. Now, let me tell you how relationships worked when I was in primary school. When I was in year two, I had a crush on a girl called Sarah. And I hadn't yet discovered my luck with girls, so I thought I had a chance. So I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I got my best friend, Sean, to go and talk to Sarah's best friend, Nell. And I said to Sean, can you ask Nell to ask Sarah whether Sarah would go out with me? So Sean went off, talked to Nell. Nell went off, talked to Sarah. And Sarah um, kind of thought about it for not very long and then sent Nell to come back to tell Sarah, or to tell Nell, to tell Sean, to tell me, no thanks. That's all right. I could tell you about 17 stories like that. One for every year of my life up until, anyway. Uh, no, I didn't start dating when I was one. What the heck? Anyway, Sarah rejected me. Or did... Nell reject me, or did Sean reject me? Well, Sarah rejected me through Nell. Okay? God made the universe through 
Jesus. So it's true to say that God made the universe, and it's true to say that Jesus made the universe. Now, how's that possible? How's that work? We're going to skip D and come back to it. We're going to go with E, if you're looking on your, on your piece of paper. E, the way it's possible is because Jesus is God himself. Jesus is God himself. Have a look at verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Exact representation means exactly like something. Now, Jesus is exactly like God's being, God's existence. In other words, Jesus is God. And if you don't believe me, have a look at verse 8. But about the Son, that's Jesus, he says, Your throne, O God. So he's talking to Jesus and he says, Your throne, O God. It's very clear there, Jesus is God. Now we'll go back to D. Last thing, really quickly on this point, is to say that Jesus is God's glory on display. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance. That means something that shines brightly like a candle, like a light. The radiance of God's glory. Now, glory means awesomeness. It's like awesome source, right? And Jesus is the radiance. He shows us God's glory. It's God's glory on display. Now, let's pull these things together for a second, all right? I've got a mate who I go surfing with um, most weeks, and he once said to me, Jesus, what has Jesus ever done for me? And I didn't really know what to say at the time, but I'll tell you what I wish I had said. What has Jesus ever done for me? Are you serious? He made you. He gave you the life that you live, the air that you breathe, the beach that you love to surf at. He invented waves and sand and the sun and wind. Do you guys love the beach? Jesus made that. Every atom in your body, every blade of grass on the field that we're about to go out and play epic games on. Jesus made it. You owe him everything. All right. But there's another thing about Jesus. Number F, Jesus is the one who can wash away sins. Have a look at verse 3. It says, After he had provided purification for sins. Okay, you never know what purification means? It's like to make something pure or make it clean. Okay? Now, how good is playing rugby in the rain? Anyone like that? Rugby union, obviously, not league. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, there's nothing better than playing footy in the rain. You know, and after the game, you are covered in mud. By the way, if it pours down with rain all fat, I say, yes, we get muddier games than any other fat ever. I'm excited for mud in, in games. But here's what happens after you play footy in the rain. You are covered in mud. And you want to go home. And your mum, you come up to your mum, she looks at you. She looks at a brand new car. She looks at you. She looks at a brand new car. And she just says, no way. There is no way you are coming in my car like that. You need a shower before you can come in the car. Well, the Bible says that we are all spiritually filthy. When we sin, sin is just doing something that God doesn't want us to do. And whenever we sin, in God's eyes, that makes us spiritually dirty. And now every single person in this room has sinned. We are all filthy with it. Every one of us. And God looks at us 
And he says to us, no way. You're too dirty to come into my house, into heaven. But look what this passage says. He provided purification for sin. He sacrificed his life on the cross to pay for your sin so that your sin can be washed away and you can be clean. A spiritual shower. Jesus is the one who can wash away your sins. Jesus is amazing. And lastly, Jesus is alive and on the throne. Have a look at verse 3. After he provided purification of sins on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Majesty means impressiveness, basically. Majesty is God the Father, sitting on his throne in heaven, ruling the universe. So where is Jesus now? What's he doing? Is he dead? No, he came alive again. So what's he doing? The Bible says he's sitting on the throne next to the Father, King of the universe. Man, just stop and think about how amazing Jesus is. He's not just some self-help hippie guy that had nice things to say. Feel the weight of this. Be in awe of this Jesus, God speaking, the owner, the maker, the radiance of God's glory, God himself, the purifier on the throne. And do you know what the Bible says? It says that you are either with Jesus or you're against Jesus. There is no middle ground. Just think about for a minute what it means if you are against Jesus. If you're not with Jesus, you are against the one who made you, who owns you, the God of the universe. You're against the king. That's not a place you want to be in. You don't want to mess around with this Jesus. But think about what it means if you are with Jesus. The Bible says... When you become a Christian, you get a relationship with Jesus. Jesus actually says, I no longer call you, I now call you friends. Brothers, it says in Hebrews, and sisters. We literally get a personal relationship with the God of the universe. How's that for a best friend? You can talk to him anytime. He's on your side looking after you. He's always with you. And he's your savior who will wash away your sins, forgive you and take you to be with God in heaven forever. If you have Jesus, you have everything. That's so much better than a Nintendo Wii. Know how amazing what you have is if you have Jesus and what you're missing out on if you don't. So that you don't make the mistake of swapping Jesus for the spiritual equivalent of soft drink. So how do you make sure you don't drift away? You know how amazing Jesus is. Alright, angels. Does anyone like angels? Who reckons they're cool? What's you guys? Anyone reckon angels are pretty boring? (laughs) There's always one. Um, I reckon angels are pretty interesting and impressive. The book of Hebrews says that angels are impressive. But do you know what Hebrews says? 
It says Jesus is better than angels and everything else. That's point number two. Check out verse four. It says, so he, talking about Jesus, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. Might be a bit confusing, but here's one way to get ahead on what's been said. Saying Jesus is better than angels. And then the rest of this chapter, you can check it out later, it's just a comparison between Jesus and angels and showing all the different ways, or some of the different ways, that Jesus is better. Now, first of all, that means that if you're into angels, you're missing out on the main event, Jesus is better, so don't get distracted. But I reckon there's probably more going on. Why is he talking about angels? Well, remember what I said at the start. This is a book written to Jewish Christians who are in danger of going back to Judaism. And the Jewish religion was built on what they believed was revealed by God through angels. So they're like, like you saw in that video last night, they're like, man, angels brought this. That's impressive. I'm going to rely on it. Hebrews is saying, yeah, angels is good, but Jesus is better. What we've got is better, so don't go back. That's what he's saying. And as you read through the rest of Hebrews, he goes on to say, chapter after chapter, Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priests. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. And over and over he says, you're tempted to go back to being Jewish. Don't go back. Look, every single thing that you love about being Jewish, Jesus is better than it. So don't go back. What about you? What are you tempted to think is better than Jesus? See, having this locked in your mind will help you to avoid drifting away. Jesus is better than angels and everything else. Lots of different things are going to tempt you to drift away from Jesus. Lots of spiritual creaming or spiritual soft drink is going to tempt you to try and make the trade. No matter what it is, Jesus is better. Nothing compares with knowing Jesus. It's like John O's saying in his night talks, counterfeit gods. We put them in the place of God, but they're not as good. They don't satisfy. God gets angry. We get hurt, and we, we waste our lives. What's tempting you to drift away from Jesus? Is it that boy or that girl? You got a crush on them. Maybe they got a crush on you. Are they leading you closer to Jesus? Or are they leading you away? Because in the end, they will either dump you or let you down or use you, even if you stay together the rest of your lives. Jesus is better. It's not worth leaving him for them. That's sin. You know it's wrong, but it feels good. And it might seem fun at the time, but it will leave a bad taste in your mouth. And if it leads you away from Jesus, it is not worth it. Because Jesus is better. Is it a sport or a job? Something you like to do? It's not wrong, but it means you miss G teams or you miss youth. or It's just starting to take that place in your mind. Makes it hard to grow as a Christian. Makes it hard to serve God. You're starting to drift away. And whatever it is, Jesus is better. So don't drift away. Now, here's one I reckon for most of you guys, this is going to be an issue. Is it your friends? Let me ask you a question. If your friends stopped coming to youth, would you still come? 
Or if your friends started to bag you out about being a Christian or bag you out for going to youth, would you come? Would you still follow Jesus? Are you following Jesus or are you just going along with your friends? And if push came to shove, which would you choose? Let me tell you, most of the friends that I had in high school, I haven't seen in five years. I haven't been out of high, I've only been out of high school five years. It's not because I haven't tried either. It's just that the people that are so important to you now, they'll drift on in life. So the, your friends who are so important to you right now, they might not even be in your life in five years. And right now, if they're not leading you to love Jesus, they're not really looking out for you, are, you, are they? There is one friend who will never leave you. Friends come and go, but he will always be there for you. His name is Jesus. Never choose your friends over Jesus, because Jesus is better. Now, if you want to be a Christian for the rest of your life, and you want to go to heaven, you will need to make hard decisions. You'll need to sacrifice things. But I promise you, it will be a lot easier if you get this locked into your brain right now. Whatever it is that you have to give up, Knowing Jesus is better. All right, the last point. If you drift away from Jesus, you will not be saved. See, there's another reason that Hebrews is talking about angels. Imagine I have a candle and a blowtorch. Is this coming up on the screen? Yeah, you can't really see. There's a candle there. That's not actually a blowtorch. It looks more impressive than a blowtorch. So I used it. It's like an angle grinder thing. You know, sparks fly. Imagine I have a candle and a blowtorch, okay? And you come along for some reason, and you're a year nine boy, so you stick your finger in the candle. And it hurts, so you stop. Now, a blowtorch is better than a candle. Would you agree with that? For almost anything, almost anything you could use a candle for, a blowtorch would do it better. So the year nine boy is like, well, I'm going to try the blowtorch. What do you think would happen if you stuck your finger in the blowtorch? Serious burn. Now, here's what's going on in Hebrews. Angels brought the Jewish religion, and every time people disobeyed God in that, God punished them like clockwork. If that happens with angels, and Jesus is better than angels, like a, can, like a blowtorch is better than a candle, what do you think is going to happen if you disobey Jesus? That's what's going on in, in chapter 2, verse 1. He's just shown that Jesus is better than angels. Then he says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation there received um, a just punishment, how shall we escape if we neglect, ignore such a great salvation? Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. If you drift away from Jesus, not only do you miss out on, who is, on the one who is better than everything else, but you also miss out on salvation. We're all spiritually filthy, and you're saying to the only one who can make you clean, I don't want you. If you drift away from Jesus, you will not be saved. Every single year, I see people your age, on fat, get excited about Jesus. You start making changes in your life. And then, a little while later, 
slowly, you start to drift away from it. And it breaks my heart. As I was writing this, I literally was crying as I thought of all the people that I know who have drifted away from Jesus. It breaks my heart because they won't be saved. Here's my question for you. Are you drifting? Something's drifting if it's not where it should be spiritually. Like a boat, it should be next to the jetty. The minute it leaves that jetty, it's started to drift. Are you not where you should be spiritually? Is Jesus the absolute dead center of your life? the King, the Savior? Or are there things that are pulling you away? Are there sins in your life? Your friends, a boy or a girl, a job, or maybe school, maybe going through hard times? Guys, is there something that's pulling you away from Jesus? You know, the scary thing is, Drifting is so gradual, sometimes you don't even notice. Not many people suddenly give up on Jesus. You know what happens? It's bit by bit. Something new comes along. You start to focus on that a bit more. You start to not care as much about Jesus. Maybe you stop reading your Bible as much. Maybe you stop praying as much. Maybe you stop coming to youth as much. Not totally. So it's nothing to worry about, right? But you started to drift. And bit by bit, you get further and further away without even realizing it. Until finally, if you notice at all, the jetty is so far away you can hardly see it. You can hardly even remember what was so good about it in the first place. Please. Don't drift away from Jesus. Are you drifting? Are you not where you should be spiritually? My heart breaks. This is the week to decide that you're going to change that. And you're going to do Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Let me pray. Father God, please protect us from ever making the mistake of swapping you for the equivalent of soft drink. You are better than everything this world has to offer. You are more amazing than anything. And knowing you is, is incredible. God, I pray that you just continue to show us that. Lord, protect us from ever drifting. Show us where in our life there are areas where we're not where we should be. And God, please, I pray that each of us will change that. By your power, in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we're actually going to spend maybe one minute just reflecting on that. So look over the notes you've written or think. The big idea at the top of there. You can write down, 
is that Jesus is better, so don't drift away. 